Welcome, my lords, to the walls of Isengard. Wait, what? I just blanked on everything I was supposed to say. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And I'm off to a rusty start because it's been so long since we podcast. It's been over a month. We have been very, very busy, both of us. A uh, lot of going on in our lives. Good things, busy things, but we're going to battle like butter, like butterbur, like we always do. So check in with my brother over there, Seth, wearing the Colorado Abs hoodie. What's up? How's it going? Rep it. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, rep it. <laughs> They've actually been doing pretty well this year so far as a whole. Um, so I'll take it. That's but... some pretty ugly losses, but... They've had some pretty nice wins too. It's just True. all or nothing for them right now. But yeah. they'll get it together. They'll they'll get it together by the end. Uh, life is good, man. It's it's busy being in school and and working. I just finished up my last uh, day of the semester with my clinical group that I was doing for my second job. So that'll free up a little bit of time. Uh, which teaching at a nursing home was not the most fun thing to do in the world, but having good students that I could felt like I could actually teach and, and cultivate some critical thinking and like the pathophysiology behind things. It was actually a lot of fun. So I'm glad that it's done, but it was also a good experience. So I'm pretty happy with that, but man, just watching Evelyn every day change continually. She's finally starting to walk on her own. Uh, she's almost a year and a half, so she's a little bit behind in that area, but the PT said it's cause she's so far advanced in all her fine motor skills. And she's yeah. the PT said she is the most cautious kid that I have ever worked with, which huh. that's obviously from Amanda. It's not from me. So <laughs> you're, you're, telling you're not a cautious guy. You, you don't like think through all the things you're about to do before you do. I mean, you remember growing up, right? Like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We had a good time, but we were constantly getting hurt. And Evelyn yeah. is just incredibly cautious. So she's she's getting there, though. She's learning to walk and trust her body a little bit. The other day, she climbed up on a chair, and I could I knew she was going to fall off, but it was a really small chair that the fall wouldn't hurt her. And so I just she stood up on the chair, and I knew I just kept my mouth shut, sat by her. I was like, she's going to fall, and you just watched her fall. And then she got this offended look on her face. Like, how dare I fall and looked at me and then started crying, dad, dad. And it's like, no, that's what happens. You're trusting your body. Mm-hmm. Maybe made a little bit of a poor choice, but you have to experience that to learn it. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun, you know, with her being able to grab my finger and walk around now and kind of go explore things. And I'm excited for, for this winter. I'm going to get it over to the sledding hill and stuff. So yeah, should be a good time. that'll be awesome. Yeah. How about you guys? Little little Baron, I got to see him for a minute before. He's he's quite yeah. expressive with those big eyes. His eyes, dude, they never shut. I mean, obviously when he's when he's sleeping, but he's just wide eyed the entire time, wanting to see everything, look at everything. Like he is yeah. he's such a fun, fun little guy. But that also means that he gets bored really easily. And so he gets mad at us if he's not constantly doing something. Um, like he used to like ride in the car really, really well, but lately Mm. it's every time you strap him in just starts wailing on us. Like we have the little like toys thing hanging down from his car seat. He's got a mirror. He can see himself. He can see us. It doesn't matter. He's just like, get me out of this thing. I need to move around. I need to hang out with somebody. I need to do something. So, you know, it makes it harder to like go places, but he's been other than that. He's been like, honestly, just a really easy 
baby. Like I know I probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, we're, we're, we're getting more sleep now, but also like he doesn't outside of just like being bored or, or being hungry. He doesn't cry. He hasn't had any sickness. He hasn't had any like health issues. He's just living life, smiling at us. And I mean, it's, it's so hard. Like, I mean, you know this better than I do probably, especially now with Evelyn being able to like talk a little bit and walk a little bit, but like leaving to go to work when your kid's smiling at you just breaks my yeah. heart. The night, the nice thing is most of the time I leave for work, it's before anybody wakes up. Cause I have to be at work at six 30 in the morning. And sure. so no, normally they're asleep, but on the off time that Evelyn wakes up and Amanda's up with her at six or whatever, before I leave, it's like, I, I'm always a few minutes late those days because just like you said, it, it feels like you're being ripped apart to, to yeah. say goodbye for the day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, while my shifts aren't as long as yours, I've still noticed, I remember something you mentioned, you know, probably a year ago, back when we started this podcast, like you were mentioning, you'd, you'd go to work, you'd come back and something different would be like something new. She'd either learned or like new expression or something. And I'm oh, already yeah. seeing that too. And it's just like, man, it's, it's, I'm glad, I'm so glad that I've got a job that I can support our family. I'm glad Ariel can stay home. And, you know, I love my job. I love what I get to do, but it is pretty heartbreaking to have to just leave and, you know, I, I get a lot of good time with them, but she's right. getting the majority of like the really uh, formative moments with them, which is good. She, she they, they, they need that together. But that's part of it, though, is you're you're leaving, but you're leaving knowing that the person you want with your kid is with your kid all day. Absolutely. Like, you're going to have to work yeah. regardless if, you know, Ariel worked or not. You're still going to be the one yeah. that has to work. So it's like to structure your life in a way that when you leave, you know that your kid is with your wife is it, at least for me, it's a very comforting feeling. It's like, okay, she's going to be well-loved, well taken care of better than even I could do if I was the one staying at home. It's like, this is the perfect person to be with my kid all day. Absolutely. You you hit the nail on the head. Like that is super nice knowing that I can just leave with him, with his mom and you know, his favorite person in the world too. (laughs) So (laughs) Well, it'll be that way. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be that way for a while, but yeah, it's been awesome, dude. It's been a, such a, a, a fun, fun time. Like I was, we were wanting to be parents for a long time and, and it happened. God blessed us with just such a, such a joy. And it's a whole different world, like the responsibility that you take on. And my demeanor has even changed a little bit. Just, I feel oh, yeah. old. I just had my 26th birthday, so I'm on the upper side of my twenties now. So, you know, <laughs> but it's, yep. Yeah. I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm, I'm an adult. I've got a house. I got a kid. I got a, a, a marriage. You know, it's like it really puts just, into perspective that you look at mom and dad and you think, man, they must have known everything when we were yeah. growing up. Like as a child, your parents are like gods to you in a way. Sure, they just they know everything. And then I it, it just puts perspective. It's like this is my kid. They're mm-hmm. gonna think the same thing about me as I'm sitting here going. I guess we'll try to figure this out. I have no idea one step at a time. Like, I guess we'll yeah. figure it out where she's going to think of growing or grow up thinking. I just know it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, granted dad was 40 when he got married. So he had a lot more life experience than the that's two true. of us. But yeah, it's, it's so good. Yeah. We've been, we've been really good though. I mean, other than that, like, you know, we're still trying to be active as much as possible. Um, I graduated, so I'm a college graduate. Yep. Yep. Congrats. Um, which is cool. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Just a, a burden lifted. I mean, it doesn't really do anything or change anything for my life. And, um, but it's nice to know that I don't have to do that 
at least for the foreseeable future and have to pay for it too because it's super but expensive. At the same time, it's something that you've worked on part time for many years that you've, you know, put a lot of time and effort into while you're moving across the country, having a kid working full time. I mean, it's, it's something yeah. to be proud of. It's not just a, ah, it doesn't do anything, whatever. It's no, you, you set out to complete a quest and you hey. finally threw the ring in the fire. So, wow, it's, it's, that is. That's a good transition. I love it. It is. And not to mention, <laughs> I, I mean, that. school's kind of like throwing a ring into fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of gold into fire. And a it lot just of gold away. right into the fire. <laughs> you just see it just burn and melt away. <laughs> oh, That's something to be proud of, though. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's good to be done. But yeah, let's jump into some riddles in the dark real quick. I'm oh, really excited for this uh, episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but before that, we're going to jump into Riddles in the Dark, where we take our three-in-one Lord of the Rings copy, flip through a random page, see if we can guess the dialogue, the characters talking, and the context. So I'll I go first. I'll get one. I forgot that we were even doing this. I had to find my book. Jeez. Somebody's not that prepared. It's all right. It's all right. All right. Here we go. I got one for you. Ready? Oh, jeez. All right. I was looking for... All right. Here we go. All right. Uh, now let us cry. A plague on the stiff necks of elves. Really? That's what you've got that, for that's me? I, that's what I looked at. I'm sorry. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe I'll just not even bother with that one. You want a, you want a new one? I mean, it's, it's Aragorn talking to Legolas as they're in Lothlorien, and he's, he's saying right, that okay. Legolas okay. needs to be okay. blindfolded. I mean. All right. Let me, let me do this one, then. See if you can get this one. Foolishness. Prudence is one thing, but discourtesy is another. That's a very short sentence. Yeah, it is. I, could... I feel like it's Gandalf talking to Denethor, but I'm not no. 100% sure. Uh, you got the right person. I'll keep going. Yeah, I know, it's, I'm I know it's Gandalf. Yeah, if I say this next line, you're going to get it. I am old. If I may not lean on my stick as I go, then I'll oh, sit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. He's talking to Hama outside yeah. of the the walls of, Ad- well, the gates of, of Metacell. Yep. The Golden yeah. Hall, indeed. The Golden yes. Hall. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, All right, well, that was... <laughs> we, we, might have to, we might have to go to the Silmarillion soon or something. I don't know. This is oh, I don't know. This is... This is a pretty hard one. Uh, it's actually, I think it's a great one, but we'll see what you, uh, what you think here. Hit me. I'll even give you who says this, and I want you to... You don't have to. Okay, all right. It's pretty challenging. Challenging one. Okay. Uh, do you think you killed him with that apple? <laughs> yeah. Well, so... Initially, uh, initially, initially, my mind goes to when Aragorn's throwing the apple at Pippin in the movies, but I don't think that part's <laughs> actually in the books. <laughs> no. Uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, it's Aragorn. No, that's in the movies. Um, but I'm going to go with is that uh, Mary talking to Pippin on uh, Treebeard as they're throwing rocks and stuff at the orcs at Isengard. No. Okay. Not even close. No. Okay, well, all right. Well. I told you, it's a hard one. Uh, okay, tell me who's talking, I guess. All right. uh, do you think you killed him with that apple, Sam? Said Pippin. Hmm. I'll even give you a little bit more. You'll probably get it with this little bit here. I'm not so hopeful, Mr. Pippin, said Sam. 
but I'd like to know what became of that poor pony. He's been on my mind many a time, and the wolves howling and all. I'm trying to... So, oh, okay, where... Did he throw the apple at Gollum, then? No. Yeah. Well, because I guess if he's talking about Build-A-Pony, then, like, they, they let, let him go right before Moria. All right, I'll just I'll spoil it for you. This um, one is no. the, the reason this one's so challenging is because it is the very end of the book. Wait, no, 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 no. Of... Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, go forward. Go forward. No, no, no. No, Let's you. See. I was gonna say, isn't this when um, they're they've cleared the the scouring of the Shire is happening? They've cleared that out, and was it is it not uh, Ted? Is it Ted Sandyman? He threw the apple at. Okay, no. yeah, I got it. Okay, let me let me. Uh, so it's the end of the book. It's before they go back to the Shire when they're at the prancing pony, about to arrive at the prancing pony, oh. and he, and Pippin is referencing when they left at the Fellowship. Yeah, when yeah. Sam domed Bill Fernie with the yeah. apple on their way oh out gosh. of Bree. That was a that's that was an that's ugly a hard look one. for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was an ugly look that, for me. That's a hard one though, like. Man, that's a, that's a good okay. one. Real quick, let's just take a minute to admire the mug Amanda bought me. And then look at the other side here. Tree of Gondor. 20 ounces nice. of liquid gold in my mouth. What are, you, what, are you, what are you drinking with it? Uh, it's actually just coffee with some whole, whole cream. Pure fat, you know. Uh, with a little bit of local honey that we buy at the uh, the farmer's market. Oh, okay. Well, I here am sipping my Papa Bear okay, mug okay. that mom and dad got us. And pour-over coffee that I made uh, with my new pour-over that I got for my birthday. So okay. It's a little you pretentious. A grinder, you, you. you grind the beans like this. Then you you hand-grind it. Hand-grind the beans. Hand grind so the you're beans, regressing you, in life. <laughs> you heat up the water to 205 and then you pour it over and you just let it do its thing. It tastes so much better that way. I will be honest. All right. The bitterness is gone. You get more flavors. If you ever come down, I'll make you some pour over. I'll, I'll gladly enjoy that. And I'm pairing that with an eclair that Ariel made, uh, okay. which is very good. Also, she made some sourdough. So, for any of our uh, ASMR people out there, didn't yeah, work, didn't. Didn't work at all. No. Good try. Oh, all right. Cool. Now uh, Riddles in the Dark is done. We can probably cut that part out. That was really weird. Um, nope. We decided Let's stand in the YouTube video, facial expressions okay. and all. Yikes! With my terrible like no shave November thing. Yeah, I wasn't gonna point it out, but I Yikes. one of my one of my volunteers was like, "Hey man, we need to do no shave November," and I was like, "Okay," but then I quickly quickly regretted um, doing that. So I'm I'm probably gonna shave on Sunday before we go to Colorado on Tuesday. No, you committed. But, I don't think committed. So, uh, <laughs> so for right. our next segment here, tidings of the fellowship. Um, this is the part where we always just check in with our listeners. Um, which we apologize. I mean, it's been obviously very sporadic posting about once a month. I think is what we're going for here at this point. Which is, you know, what we can do. But we definitely love hearing from you guys. You can email us at weckpodcast at gmail We'll read your thoughts on the podcast, but. I just figured out how to do the Spotify interactions. So apparently on Spotify, you can like make a comment on each episode. And so we got some comments from a couple different people. So Thomas, I don't know last name or where he's from. I don't, I don't 
think I know him personally. I hope I don't. That'd be awkward if I did, and I just didn't know who he was. But Thomas, thank you for listening. I appreciate uh, the the comment. I think you were talking about the podcast we did with the frequently asked questions. But you uh, mentioned here about Luthien, which is a really interesting um, take here you've got. So you say, I believe Luthien was brought back as a mortal. She sang for Mandos and moved him, as we talked about in our Baron and Luthien episodes. And he said, my opinion on Tom Bombadil is that he is part of the music. Mm. That's interesting. Like He's not like a being. He's just part of the music. An oddity like Ungoliant. And then he says, great episode. So appreciate the love, Thomas. But yeah, what, what what do you think of that, Seth? Tom Bombadil is a part of the music because he sings I, well, first a lot. Off, yeah, I think he's spot on with Luthien coming back as a mortal. Um, yeah, even though Tolkien doesn't really explicitly say what happens to Baron and Luthien in the end, I think it's safe. Sure. They're both brought back as mortals to enjoy Middle Earth for a short period of time. Uh, as for Tom Bombadil, I have heard that theory in the past, and it makes sense. It's interesting to me that he ties. Ties Tom Bombadil to Ungoliant, um, which I wonder if he's saying that Ungoliant is part of the music as well. Maybe like a, uh, how do you phrase this? Like the fact that, you know, Elcor had all the Discord in the music and maybe yeah. she was like an offshoot of the Discord. So maybe sure. Tom Bombadil is like an offshoot of the happiness or something. Cause he's just mm-hmm. jolly old Tom. I mean, he. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I it's an interesting theory to have to think more about it, but I like it. Yeah. No, that's that's good. Very interesting. Um Yeah, and then we have another comment from Caleb. Uh I think on the same episode uh, same episode actually. Um but he said this was a fun episode, so thank you Caleb. Also the episode we did with you was a very fun episode. Yes, indeed. But I really like what he says here. In an effort to correct damage done by the Rings of Power, <laughs> we should do an episode on the origins of hobbits. Hmm. You we mean they, they weren't these like nomadic traveling little harfoots that to some extent leave, they were, but leave their leave their people behind and <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they put them in the book and then make fun of them after abandoning them on the side of the road, right? <laughs> Um, so actually this is interesting. I don't know if you've been keeping up with like the unexpected podcast, uh, but Lane, one of the hosts of that podcast, he has created an entire, um, TV show really for just the origins of hobbits, not just the origin of hobbits, but it's like, it's a hobbit based TV show, uh, going with like the host of the TV show would be Eleanor, one of Sam's daughters and kind of goes yeah. through her backstory and the most recent episode he's got two seasons that he's just really thought out and he's got some dialogue and he's got seasons and he's got episodes and it's really incredible and so he goes kind of back to the origins of like Bolroar took in this last one and he talks about the 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 fight where you know golf was invented um yep. and he gives backstory to that it, it, it's really 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 cool so Caleb yeah. I encourage you to look at that one we might do that eventually, but um, yeah. I'd, I'd just point people to that because it, it's it's partial fan fiction. It has to be because there's just not a whole lot there, but it's, yeah, it's really but, good. And I, I've actually DM'd back and forth with Lane a decent bit about that because I was like, man, I mean, this is this is actually incredible. And with his stories that he is creating, yes, like you said, there's a little bit of fan fiction and that's okay. And I'm okay with some fan fiction as long as you remain true to the core lore and 
the core themes of Tolkien's world and universe and the way Tolkien envisioned the whole big picture, which is something that obviously Rings of Power did not do in the slightest. Right. Right. But with Lane's version, I mean, listening to the podcasts where he just kind of, it's basically an outline that he gives. Like it's not, you know, a script, yeah. but it's, it's an outline for each episode in these seasons. And it's like, man, I'm listening to that going, if, if you could get that in the hands of like a Peter Jackson or somebody that is yeah. willing to kind of say, you know, screw it to all the modern stuff, I'm going to stick to the lore and stick to what's in the outline and then tie it into actually what Tolkien wanted his messaging to be. Then yeah. I think, oh man, I would love to watch that. Even though hobbits really are not my favorite, they're kind of sure. dull and boring to me in a way. Mm. Um, as a whole though, I would, watch that show in a heartbeat yeah i agree absolutely but maybe one of these days we'll do like a, a little like inform informative podcast on some of the origins of hobbits of what we know of what we know for sure tolkien wanted for it to be um not uh, obviously any fan fiction there but yeah great comments uh please keep sending them in i'll figure out how to get on the spotify interactions um, but if you have anything you want to share like bigger stories that you have or bigger theories you have on anything really um, we'd love to hear from you guys so make sure to yeah. leave a comment on youtube or send us an email or you know whatever it is we'd love to love to chat so seth put in a little thought exercise for this next segment um so we are going to do uh we're going to figure out how how our companions our nine companions of our own making our own fellowship makeup would fare in the quest to destroy the ring and so we each chose nine and uh, we have a beast of burden as well <laughs> um so we'll go through and, and just share our nine and and give some dialogue back and forth and what i'd love for you guys listening is to actually comment which one you think would be more successful or which one you like better that way like i know i'm gonna win so it, like just i just need the affirmation please <laughs> so here's the thing you can kind of take this in a couple of different ways. Like if we're doing nine companions to destroy the ring in a quest of secrecy, like in Lord of the Rings, uh, you're going to pick your team or your, your fellowship far differently than you would. If it was sure. like, all right, I'm just going to get the strongest guys. We're going to brute force our way in, which, you know, Elrond says wouldn't even have worked if they would right. have tried that. So, uh, me personally, I kind of went for a little bit of a mix back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe maybe what we'll do is talk about our ring bearer, our Sam figure, our guide, and then we'll go back and forth, and then we can just talk about the rest of the people in the fellowship. So yeah. for my ring bearer and my Sam figure, I went uh, back to the first age, and I have Luthien being my ring bearer. Uh, mm. With her magic and her ability yeah. to sing and, you know, put people to sleep and stuff. Uh, and then Baron's love for her and yeah. not to mention his prowess and just his steadfastness. He really kind of reminds me of Sam and sure. Baron and Luthien really are just tied at the hip. So I think that's mm. a good combination for the Frodo Sam uh, kind of element, especially if, yeah. if uh, you know, they break away from the rest of the fellowship like happens in Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then my Gandalf-like figure or my guide is actually Melian. And yeah, that's, good. that's just because every time she opens her mouth, it's just pure wisdom. She knows what yeah. to do in every situation. And quite frankly, her arrogant husband never listens to her. Um, 
or she could use a break from him anyway. You know, she could <laughs> you sh- she could use a break from Thingle. She needs a vacation. <laughs> well, I mean, she did get a very long vacation from him after uh, the dwarves decided to slaughter yeah. him in his own palace. But that's a good point. <laughs> but I just I Melian is such an incredibly intelligent and character that's just full of wisdom and knows what to do at every turn. And I feel like she'd be a yeah. great Gandalf esque character. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, so I. I don't have necessarily a Sam figure because you don't need one if you have Samwise Gamgee anyway. He's the ring bearer. He is the humble hobbit who is unaffected for the most part from what we've seen um, by the ring. And I mean, this guy, this guy is, he's steadfast. He's son of Hampfast, you know, he's, he's, he's steadfast and, and he is going to, He's going to have no problem giving up that ring when it comes to it. You know, he's just going to toss it in the fire. No big deal. And he won't have the drama and he won't, it won't weigh down on him. You know, he'll, he'll just throw it in with his spices and his pots and pans. He'll be good to go. (laughs) Um, For my guide, I just stuck with Gandalf. I mean, this guy, he knows hobbits. So I want somebody who knows hobbits and can care for them well. And um, I'm going to go with Gandalf the gray rather than Gandalf the white. Um, obviously a little less powerful, but a little bit more, I'd say fellowship oriented. Hmm. Again, off the white, it's okay. like, all right, I'm just going to use this newfound power and I'm going to start like wrecking havoc and destroy people. That's good. But for our quest, I want Gandalf the gray, you know, that more fellowship companion minded fella. But, uh, yeah, that's, like I said, I don't really have a Sam figure. Uh, but that's that's my starting lineup to start. I mean, you, you kind of have to pick one, right? Uh, if the fellowship's going to split up, you don't want Sam going alone. So who's who's going? All right, all right. There's actually somebody on your list that would be perfect to go say, with Sam. I was going to say on my on my list, I think the one would be Faramir. Yes, be that's yeah. who I was <laughs> expecting you to pick. Yeah, he'd be my Sam figure if I had to have one. So yeah, cool. I like that. All right, so who else you got? Uh, the rest I've got it's kind of an interesting blend here um for a steadfast very loyal man of integrity i'm gonna go with tour um that's erendil's father um he marries idril kelebrindle of gondolin um he's just an awesome character then i also picked my two favorite elves of the first age and beleg and mablung and that's because one is known as the Strongbow, and one is known as like the Great Hunter. And between the two of them, if you're looking for stealth in the woods, and a, you know, obviously Aragorn does a great job in the Fellowship, but these guys are the cream of the crop when it comes to knowing how to get around uh, secretly and and surviving in the wilderness. That's fair. I mean, you got to take into account though that Belag has a knack for being killed by his best friend, so. If Mablong's coming along, I intentionally did not include his best friend. <laughs> well, but if if Turin's not a part of the picture, you know, Mablon might just that's true. Yeah, do something something bad for him. <laughs> that's true. Um, and then I decided to go for a dwarf. I decided to go with Azagal, who is the okay. king of the dwarves during the Near Nyth Arnoidiad, mm. and it was actually his group of dwarves that pushed back Glaurung and sent him yeah. crawling back to the gates of Angband. And he was actually killed by Glaurung, uh, but not before he, he stabbed him in the belly and caused him to, to slither away. So yeah. I figured he was a good sturdy figure. And then for my sure. last two, I wasn't too sure, but I thought it'd be pretty good to have Tar Aldarion, who was the sixth okay. king of Numenor. 
Uh, he is the one that was. It's a very interesting story in the Unfinished Tales, the tale of Aaron or uh, Alderion and Arendis. But Alderion is very friendly to the elves and to Gilgalad and is trying to help them out in their fights against Sauron. He's the one that pretty much established a lot of the uh, Numenorean settlements uh, in Middle Earth. And then to round out my fellowship, I actually tossed in here Ecthelion of the Fountain, who was... Yeah, that's the, an interesting choice. Uh, it's very specific, though. If we're okay. still going through the Mines of Moria, I've got Ecthelion mm. who slayed Gothmog, the Lord of Valrog. That's a great In the Fallen Gondolin. That is I mean, a great We're point. getting across that bridge of Khazadum. I'm not worried about the Balrog. Nothing's getting in the way of Ecthelion. He's taking wow. out the Balrog. He's a cake. And then saying, yeah, I killed Gothmog, your leader, thousands of years ago. You think you're going to stand a chance? Yeah. Nah. Come at me, bro. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Wow. Okay. That's pretty good. I'll give you that one. Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what I got here. So yeah, um, my, next, my next one is, is Bayorn, <clears throat> the shapeshifter. Obviously, he has no uh, liking for dwarves, but he hates orcs more. So that yep. is good. He is going to be our our muscle really he's going to get us through pretty much anything but he can also be pretty stealthy and and you know he can shapeshift into that man figure if he needs to you know get by unnoticed go through towns or cities or whatever but if you know worse comes to worse we need to fight and is he staying in bear form most of the time for you only when he needs to i think you know i think it's you don't want to like waste the muscle or or even like make people afraid of him as you're walking through you know some of these places um, okay. so yeah, so he's going to be our muscle though. He's got like our bouncer. He's going to get us through wherever we, wherever we need to go. I got Glorfindel for similar reasons to Ecthelion. Um, he didn't necessarily kill a Balrog. Um, he tried, uh, but yeah, he killed the Balrog. He just died in the process. Yeah. So, but he came back to life. So <laughs> if he does kill the Balrog of Moria, he'll just come back to life later on and join the quest. Later on, I do think so. he's a good choice too, especially because of why do you think third age specifically? Well, I mean, he he's the guy that like for for the Nazgul's like exactly for, for the Nazgul's chasing after our, our fellowship here. We we got to have our own wraith of our own. Uh, yeah, so he can speak, fight so. in the wraith world. So that's yeah. a that's a that's a solid choice. Yeah. And then Seth said that this kind of goes against all of what Tolkien stands for i don't i disagree because i'm not going to use Thorondor as a beast of burden i'm going to take the lord of eagles as my eyes in the sky he's not going to carry the whole fellowship he's not going to do that he's far too proud but he will be the guy looking over giving us a bird's eye view of what's coming ahead of time if he needs to come down and, and fight he can do that if he needs to save some of our our people take samwise out of the fight to keep him safe he can do that but he's he's really just going to be he's going to be our UAV, um, you know. Uh, so. All right. So I ha- I have a question. When you go through the mines of Moria, is he just saying, "Hey guys, hope you make it. I'll see you on the other side," or so is he saying, "Hey, nope. let's fly over the Redhorn Pass"? Now listen to this. This is going to be great. Tolkien says that he can see through stuff, right? He's got eyes um, that can see. I don't know about an entire mountain per se. I think but, that might be a stretch. I mean. Everything needs a little bit of embellishment, right? Every good story. So we'll just say he's got you know, the vision to see through to see what's coming for Minds of Moria. But either way, he can he can wait on the other side, and then also you know 
he'll, he'll be waiting in Lothlorien. He'll be telling all, right. all the elves, hey, be ready to accept this group of people. <laughs> uh, for my dwarf, I chose Telkar. Now, Seth made a good point. He, I don't know if he fights, uh, but this is the dwarf that uh, created the dragon helm of Dor Loman. And he created a bunch of other really good things. He's an incredible smith, so he's going to swag us out. Like, during this time that we're in Rivendell waiting to kind of go on this quest, he's going to be making us some mithril vests. He's going to make us some incredible helms, knives, daggers, swords. I mean, he's going to be going all out for our team, and we're going to be walking out there swagged and protected. So, uh, But then he'll just be along for the ride as well uh, to to that. Already talked about Faramir, so he's he's part of that. He's just a a, a good guy. You know, he's a really good guy, pure heart, great fighter. Uh, but yeah, it could be that perfect Sam figure that Sam needs. We're going to be talking a lot about him in this episode. Fingolfin is my next one because the dude literally fought Morgoth. And I won't spoil it. We'll we'll talk about what happens. But this guy is fearless. There is nothing stopping him. He's going to charge ahead. He's going to be the leader in any of our battles. That he He's, he's just going to be the guy that, that takes care of the team. And it's kind of crazy to, to think that he'll be the leader with everybody you've got on your team. And he would be. I so. know. Yeah, like, I, know. I know. Yeah, he's he, OK. I like it. But he's also going to be the guy that's going to be he's going to sacrifice if he needs to. He's going to put his life on the line for the rest of our companions and for the and for the for the success of the quest. So he's he's solid choice there. And finally, I have Elros, half uh, half elven, brother of Elrond. He's just going to round out the men and the elves in a really good way and create a lot of uh, good synergy within our our fellowship. You know, he brings okay. kind of a nobility to him, but he also brings some wisdom. I'm sure he was a great fighter as well. Very very keen, very steadfast guy. Then for my beast of burden, I actually it's a little disrespectful now that I think about it. Because um, mm. Huan is not a beast of burden. He is the goodest of boys, as we have discussed right. in previous podcasts. The the goodest of boys. But I could not have Baron and Luthien without without Huan. True. And yeah. Bill the Pony had to turn around at Moria's gates, but you know for a fact Huan's going through there. <laughs> He's gonna take yeah. out that cave full, no problem. It's a good point. It's a good point. But would he be willing to carry any of your luggage yeah that's why i said it's a little disrespectful (laughs) and also brother you don't have any cooks on your squad like who's gonna be making you're telling me that we're gonna run out of lembas bread okay that sounds boring come on need some melly and tot galadriel how to make lembas i think (laughs) we're set i think we're set but you need some nice crispy bacon from the hobbits there to give you guys that (laughs) (laughs) My beast of burden was build a pony because the connection he has with Samwise, I think, you know, I think he could probably make it through the mines. I think they were really discounting his abilities. I think uh, with his loyalty and, and his wisdom uh, for an animal, like he would have gotten through that just fine. And especially with the, the squad that we had, if Bayorn is there to protect him, he'll be good. He'll be good to go. Fair enough. <laughs> I like it. All so, right. So, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, it. let us I know. Uh, Let us yeah, know what you yeah, here we go. Let us know what you guys <laughs> think. Just to give you a summary again. I've got Luthien as my ring bearer. I've got Baron, Melian, Tuor, Beleg, Azagal, Tar Alderion, Ecthelion, and then Huon. And, and Sam. Did I min- miss Mablong? Yeah, Dang. Yeah. That's because he was so <laughs> sneaky in the woods, my man. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um and then Sam's got Samwise Gamgee as his ring bearer. He's got Gandalf, Bayorn, 
Glorfindel, Thorondor, Telkar, Faramir, Fingolfin, and Elros. And then, of course, Bill the Pony. You can't forget Bill the Pony. Let us know, guys. Let us know who won. Let us know who you'd rather have taken you to the fires of Mount Doom. <laughs> I wonder if we can put up a poll somewhere. That'd be interesting. I know you can on, on Spotify, so I'll do that. I'll do that on Spotify. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know how else we could do that. But yeah, let us know. Whatever that looks like. Just put us, just give us a five star review on all your platforms, but let us know and in that review what is that? Yeah. yeah, who wins? Who wins? <laughs> so, like I mentioned in Meat and Potatoes for today's podcast, we are talking about probably one of the most epic, like one on one duels in Tolkien's Legendarium. Oh, it's got to be and the most epic. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. There's been a lot of really good ones, but yeah, this is. This is the most epic uh, between the most powerful Valar, uh, Melkor, or Morgoth, and against the High King of the Noldor. That would be our man, my man, Fingolfin. And so we're going to look at the story in the Silmarillion of, of the battle of combat between the two of them. So I'm going to let Seth jump in with some backstory, as he always does, really, really good to kind of set the mood to understand who Fingolfin was and why he uh, decided to take on the most powerful, Mal- uh, most powerful Valar there is yeah so just like sam mentioned to understand the reason for this battle between uh morgoth and fingolfin you actually have to understand the backstory and who fingolfin is why why would morgoth even come fight him who is fingolfin why is he worth a one-on-one duel and so fingolfin is actually the second son of fenway so he is the half brother and younger brother to feanor the horrible elf that Oh man, he just not a good half brother. Um, Fingolfin was actually described as the strongest and most valiant of the sons of Fenway. So even though um, at one point I'm pretty sure Tolkien describes Feanor as like none could compete with him, um, yeah. Fingolfin is actually you know the strongest and most valiant. So when it comes to our you know arms and prowess in battle, Fingolfin takes the cake. Uh, sure. At one point in in uh, Valinor, Feanor actually these names are so hard to keep straight when you talk about <laughs> them. Um, in Valinor, Feanor actually ended up threatening his half brother Fingolfin, and at this time Feanor was claiming that Fingolfin was trying to steal his place as you know the son to the High King of the Noldor, who was Fenway at the time, mm-hmm. and they kind of face off a little bit and. Fingolfin actually says, I'm not trying to challenge you. Like you have, you have the prince princedom, I guess it would be called. Um, but let's just leave it at that. And Feanor drew a sword and like held it up against him and actually led to the first time. Right. Yeah. For the first time in what was that place called? It was in Valinor. Um, I forget the city's name, but it was the first time anybody had drawn sword. And so it led to Feanor becoming banished from that city that Vinyamar, maybe I don't remember. Um, yeah maybe who knows i'll have to look (laughs) up afterwards but it led to him becoming banished and that led to fenway leaving to go be with his son and long story short that's when morgoth you know around that time poisoned the mind of feanor ended up stealing the silmaril fleeing to middle earth um and so even though fingolfin didn't really want to follow feanor to middle earth he decided he was going to because he really did not want to abandon his people because yeah. at this point he's still 
he's still a prince of the Noldor. He still is, you know, a leader amongst these elves, and most of them are going to go follow Feanor, and he doesn't really trust Feanor anymore. He doesn't trust his half-brother, which, as we'll see here in a second, is very reasonable. Um, and so he decides to to follow, and they cross the Helcaraxe, or they're beginning to, and Feanor actually decides to take his seven sons, they jump on a boat, and they sail right across, you know, they sail east to Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. And I forget which son it is. I want to say it's Maethros. Um, but he looks at at, Fingolf, or at Feanor and says, all right, awesome. Who are we, like, what boats and what men are we sending back to start getting the, you know, shepherding the rest of our group over? And Feanor actually just laughs, and he, I'll quote him directly. He's, he's yeah. sadistic, really. These are This Horrible. is his half-brother. It's a lot of his kin. It's everybody that he convinced to follow him. And Feanor mm-hmm. laughs and goes, none. What I have left now... Wait, let me say that again. None. What I have left behind, I count now no loss. Needless baggage on the road it has proved. Let those that cursed my name curse me still and wind their way back to the cages <laughs> of the Valar. Let the ships burn. That's insane. It's insane. So he basically is just committing everybody to pretty much death. I mean, a lot of them make it, but a lot of them do die as they cross the Helcaraxe. And so at this point, Fingolfin basically just takes over the leadership of the remaining elves. So he's not technically the High King anymore, uh, or he isn't up until this point. It's still Feanor, but he takes leadership of everybody else. And so at this point, they arrive you know, in Middle Earth, and there's a lot going on. Um, but Maedhros actually gets captured by by uh, Morgoth and chained to mm-hmm. the mountain, which we talked about how uh, yep. Throndor came with with Fingolfin, and Fingolfin actually like cut his arm off basically to rescue him. Yeah. And so there's a great brotherhood that started to bond between. I guess it'd technically be like his nephew, right? So it'd be Fingolfin and yep. Maedhros. Yeah. Um. And so at this point, Feanor has already died. And Maethros looks at Fingolfin and says, like, I relinquish my crown. Like, you should be the high king of the Noldor. And it shouldn't go to any of my brothers. If I die, it should go down your line, mm-hmm. which is um, where Gilglad eventually comes from. Yep. And yep. so this establishes Fingolfin as the, the high king of, of the Noldor within Beleriand. And... At a certain point in the first uh, first age, in the year 60, they had the Dagor Arglareb, or the Glorious Battle, in which they created the Siege of Angband, they pushed back all of Morgoth's forces, and they created this siege that lasted for nearly 400 years. Uh, and unfortunately, that's when the Dagor Bragalock came into play, the Battle of Sudden Flame. This is the one that uh, uh, Azagal died in, that I was yeah. talking about earlier. Uh, in which the the siege of Angband was broken and Morgoth released fire, just destroying all the nearby land. And Tolkien describes it as he's describing this battle, and he says, "Then suddenly Morgoth set forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than the Balrogs from Thang- Thangorodrum, and poured over all the plain. And the mountains of iron belched forth fires of many poisonous hues, and the fume of them stank upon the air, and it was deadly." And so you can imagine that's just it's a cheat code Oof! out of nowhere. You're not really expecting it. You've been biding your time for 400 years. The elves that are, you know, doing the siege are probably a little lax. Like, yeah, we got them trapped. No big deal. And then that comes out. Do you so, think, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt you. Do you think yeah, this yeah, is, 
I don't know my history well enough. Were flamethrowers a, a World War One or World War Two thing? <laughs> I feel like Why? they came up. I think they came like the end of World War One, and it was very surprising for a lot of people. I wonder if this is kind of like something he might have seen in battle, where it just like rivers of fire, where it just like lights up everything in front of it, just sudden flame. I mean, I could That's be completely wrong. Possible. But... I know they were used heavily in World War Two. I know that yeah. for a fact, but I don't know when they originated. But if they were, man. Could you imagine going across the no man's land in World War Two or World War One between the trenches, carrying yeah. like a bomb on your back, knowing that right. one bullet hits that thing and you and everybody around you is just going to get evaporated? Yeah, man, that'd be terrifying. It's so crazy. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, I just thought because I I know a lot of his imagery, especially when it comes to battle, comes from his experience and. Yeah, I just I like to put myself in his shoes, not for very long because it's scary, but like just to kind of be like, wow, what did this guy go through? And, you know, how did he I mean, he's so brilliant the way that he creates his battle plans and he creates the combat that we see because it's it's real. It's so realistic in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. And you I mean, that'd be an interesting connection. I'll have to look that up because. Now that you mention it, that description is kind of what I would imagine a flamethrower out of nowhere. You know, it smells bad. Sure, just sure. comes out of nowhere. Man, that's an interesting connection. We'll have to we'll have to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So at the front of these forces, after this fire comes out and just you know destroys everything in front, then Morgoth released his forces, and at the front of that came Glaurung, and in his train were Balrogs, and behind them came armies of orcs in multitudes such as had not been seen before. So obviously Morgoth had been planning this um, for a long time. And it yeah. was actually in this battle that two of Galadriel's brothers, Angrod and Ag- and Agnor, I have a hard time Ag- pronouncing Agnor, yeah. Agnor uh, were killed. And so at this point, this is also where uh, Bera here rescued Fenrod Feligund, which we know plays a huge role in the story of Baron and Luthien. Mm-hmm. And so you can just imagine the destruction that's happening and kind of the despair. Like we thought we finally had Morgoth trapped and we were going to be able to, you know, move on and just keep him there. And then just all of this happens and it's got to be just incredibly difficult on the psyche. Um, Yeah. But I thought this was kind of a little fun tidbit uh, that ties in here. And it's a little bit of lore here. Maedros did deeds of surpassing valor. And this is uh, Maedros with one hand, the son of Feanor, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And orcs fled before his face. For since his torment upon the Thangaradrim, his spirit burned like white fire within. And he was one... And he was as one that returns from the dead. Thus a great fortress upon the hill of Hemring could not be taken. So this was a hill that, that Maethros was in charge of. He, that's where his remnant of the Noldor uh, that followed him hung out at, this hill of Hemring. And what's fascinating is at the end of the First Age when Beleriand falls into the sea, that little hill, if you look at a map of Middle-earth in the top like the northwest corner of the map, there's mm. actually a little island off the, the northwest coast, and it's called Hemring. And okay. so for some reason, I don't really know why, but Tolkien decided that even though Beleriand was falling into the sea and the world was, you know, being reshaped yeah. in a way, he kept that little remembrance of Maethros. So hmm. not all of Feanor's yeah. sons were, were horrible. Yeah, yeah, Maethros is... He, he does some deeds of valor. 
but again, back to the Noldor of the North and they're, they're in Hithlum and they're scattered. I mean, again, you, you think about what just went down, the despair of this, the Battle of Sudden Flame. We got some people in Doriath. We have some people um, on fortresses by the sea. Some of them went to Nargothrond. And then even some went as far as uh, the reaches of Assyrian. So, I mean, they're just scattered everywhere. And again, you, you think of like, okay, Fendigolfin is supposed to be the, the high king of these Noldor. I mean, how can he be king? How can he rally his troops when they're so far away? Yeah. Um, but the news of, of Dorthonian falling and, and the death of his nephews, along with the sons of Feanor, being pushed back, Fingolfin's, he, he beheld the utter ruin of the Noldor and the defeat behind the red dress. He's like, okay, I got to do something about it. like this. He's just start thinking there's, there's so much going on here. What do I have in me to change this, to, to counteract what Morgoth has done? And so he's been filled with wrath and despair. He mounts his horse, uh, Rockalar. Is that how you'd say it? I have no idea. Rockalor. Rockalor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he gets on his horse and he, he rode alone to the gates of Angband. Because again, everyone's scattered. He can't be like, all right, guys, come on with me. Let's go together. He's just like, I'm, I got to do this. I, it's, a, it's up to me. Everything is on my shoulders now. And he rides alone to Angband. And this is an excerpt. Um, is this an excerpt from both of them from the Lay of Luthien or just from the Silmarillion uh, and then? I'm not too sure. I think the first one might be from the Silmarillion and then the second yeah. one's from Lay of Luthien. I don't remember. Gotcha. So yeah, the first excerpt is, we're pretty sure it's from the, from the Silmarillion and then we got another one from Lay of Luthien here. But this is kind of descript- describing how he was approaching Angband. Um, it says this, All that beheld his onset fled in a maze, thinking that Orome, the, you know, the, the Valor himself, has come with a great madness of rage upon him so that his eyes shone like the eyes of the Valar. Again, this is just a, he's a, he's a high elf, but he's just an elf. And here he is. Like everybody's looking on him amazed thinking, okay, this guy's like, he's legit. He is absolutely legit. You know what I find interesting? And I could be wrong about this, but the only other time in all of the legendarium that makes the connection of like that thinking that Orome himself was coming is not thinking that Orome was coming necessarily, but it's in the Ride of the Rohirrim. Tolkien actually references mm. uh, Theoden, and he says something as in, like, um, Theoden charged, like, the Vala Orome when the world was young. And mm. so he's comparing Theoden to Orome. And so yeah. it's a very rare thing that somebody gets compared to him. Sure. And so, I don't know, just an interesting tie-in, and it definitely shows just how intense and powerful mm-hmm. thing golfing is yeah and we know how epic that whole scene is with the ride of the rohirrim to get that kind of description i mean you can put yourself yeah just think of that but without you know thousands of horse riders right. behind him. just him alone him alone he's he's going to do this and uh from the lay of luthien which is a, a really long i guess you could say poem right uh that yeah. that tolkien wrote specifically about Luthien, but, um, or Lathian, I guess is, is the term, but, um, this is how he, how he wrote it again, kind of a description of what's going on in the vast shadow. Once of yore, Fingolfin stood his shield. He bore with field of heaven's blue and star of crystal shining pale afar in overmastering wrath and hate desperate. He smote upon the gate. That's the gate of Angban. The gnomish King. We'll explain that here in a second. They're standing alone. <laughs> While endless fortresses of stone engulfed the thin, clear, ringing keen of silver horn and baldric green. 
So I, I love, I mean, read the lay of Luthien. It's beautiful. Like it, it flows so well, like it's a story, yeah. um, but it rhymes and it's, it's really, really, really beautiful. But uh, specifically here, he's, he's talking about engulf in, in his majesty as he's coming to the gates of Angband. And obviously this was like one of the first writings that Tolkien did. And he actually called elves gnomes before. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why it's like the gnomish King. And I'm, I'm glad he just decided to go with, elves instead of having gnomes as a thing i mean because we, we think of gnomes nowadays you think like the smurfs or something like that you know little little tiny guys with a beard and a, a cone-shaped hat yeah you don't see their eyes <laughs> uh, but that's not at all what tolkien had in mind when he thought of like gnomes and originally it was more so again what we see with the elves so um but yeah it's it's a beautiful description we've got one of the most determined moments we've ever seen any of the hiking again you think of elves they don't do rash things right they no. sit and they wait and they're patient fengolfin's like nah we got to do this we got to do this now and i'm gonna be the one to do it yeah so if you think about just the amount of despair that he felt when uh the dagger bragalak happened and everything that he had known you know for 400 years they had relative peace while, while they were sieging angband and yeah. now Morgoth's out. They've seen the dragons. They've seen the Balrogs. They've seen how many orcs he made. They know how powerful Morgoth is alone. And he's yep. just, he has pure despair. Like, there's nothing we can do to defeat this. And sure. he knows that he's just an incredibly mighty and powerful elf in his own right. And he's like, all right, let's just see if we can challenge him in one to one combat, which is interesting. You see that in books and movies all the time where it's like, well, if you were a man, you wouldn't fight me. You know, you wouldn't send all your lackeys to fight me. You'd fight me one on one. And it's like a, I don't know, kind of a pathetic challenge, really. It's like some hero that is at his wits end knowing that yeah. he's going to die because he's way outnumbered and he tries to just cut the head off the snake. You know, it just, it's kind of a lazy type of writing yeah. or storytelling in a lot of ways. Play to but the pride. Yeah. Which in, in reality, nobody's really going to do. But he knows Morgoth. And in this case, it actually works out pretty well. And so. Tolkien says that he stood before the gates and just like Sam Reddy banged on the gates and challenged Morgoth and and just yelled to try to get him to come fight. And Tolkien actually says, speaking of Morgoth, he says he took not the challenge willingly alone of the Valar. He knew fear. Hmm. So why do you think that is, Sam? Like he alone of the Valar knew fear. So that means that Manway, who's just as powerful or close to as powerful, and all the rest of the Valar, they don't, they, they're not scared. They're never scared of him. I mean, Tolkas laughs in his face, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. why is it that of everybody, why is Morgoth the one that knows fear? That's a good question. I mean, you know me and my, my pastor brain, I'm going to take everything kind of from a biblical lens and just what we see in scripture, but I think when you have separated yourself from the creator, Mm. you're going to be filled with fear because you have no certainty. You have no faith. You have no hope in anything. And so while he is turned his back on God, if you will, um, you know, uh, Ilavatar, he knows for one, he's not as strong as Ilavatar. And he knows for two, like without the presence of Ilavatar in his life, he knows like he, he can never be the sole Mm. being of power. He can never want, like he can never be confident in his abilities that nobody else can withstand him because he doesn't have, I guess the the confidence, the hope that the other Valar do standing next to God, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. That 
that makes perfect sense. But at the same time, in my brain, it's like, so why did he cause the discord in the first place? <laughs> maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't have fear prior. Sure. And when that that cleavage happened, that's when he went, oh, geez, I'm scared. I have fear. I can feel this fear. Um, so maybe that's why. But in my mind, it's like, why would you? If well, you, again, if you I we're going to feel that. Why would you test fate? <laughs> I think it's the temptation of going your own way of getting something more than what you've been given. I mean, again, you, to just be very biblical here, you look at the story of the fall. Adam and Eve were perfectly happy in the garden. They were tempted mm-hmm. by Satan to do something that God told them they knew they shouldn't do. They knew they shouldn't go against God, but they were said they could be like God. And that was intriguing to them. In the same way, I think Melkor felt like he could be like Ilavatar if he created mm-hmm. himself. And But the first thing that happens when Adam and Eve bite the apple is they realize they're not only are they naked, but then the Bible says, and they were afraid. That was the yeah. first reaction, is they were afraid. Because again, they have this disconnect. God is no longer overwhelming presence so they don't feel safe anymore hmm. they realize is okay there's good and evil in this world i may be on the wrong side of it interesting that's a good tie-in i i'll have to think about that i think you, i think you're my you might be spot on though i like that thanks for sharing I could, that i could preach for a little while <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet you're good at it um nice. so getting back to the story here just picture this elf he's got you know ringill his sword he's got Rockalor, or is that how he said it? Ronchlor, I don't know. His horse, yeah. and it's just his his shield, his sword, his horse, and his fury. And he's banging on the doors of Angband. And at this point, Tolkien, I'll read a couple of different little excerpts here on just the approach of Morgoth. And it says, The rumor of his feet was like thunder underground, and he issued forth clad in black armor. He stood before the king like a tower, iron crowned, and his vast shield, sable, unblazoned, cast a shadow over him like a storm cloud. So just the size of Morgoth's shield is completely shielding you know it's casting such a shadow over fingolfin like a storm cloud it it just blacks out the sun or whatever you know just his shield alone yeah and then tolkien says but fingolfin gleamed beneath it as a star for his mail Mm. was overlaid with silver and his blue shield was set with crystals and he drew his sword ringgill that glittered like ice and then the battle commenced, and Morgoth's weapon, as we know about from the Third Age, uh, is actually the, the, what is it called? A battering ram that destroys yep. the gates of Minas Tirith. It's actually created in reverence of this, this weapon that Morgoth is wielding, and that's Grant, the hammer of the underworld. Um, and so, like I said, in the Third Age, that's what destroys the 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 gates of Minas Tirith and it was equipped with spells of ruin um, is how Mm. Tolkien describes it in the third age. So it's this, the hammer is well known like this, this weapon that Morgoth is swinging and using as his main weapon here. Like it, it goes on through the ages. It lives in infamy. Um, And so at this point he kept swinging down at Fingolfin, but Fingolfin, you know, I just imagine he's like a fourth of the size of Morgoth, but he's quick and he's strong. And every time Morgoth goes to swing, he dodges it. He rolls back and forth and gets out of the way. However, Grand is such a powerful weapon that he's actually creating craters in the ground. Everywhere yeah. that Grand lands, it's creating a crater. And Tolkien says that many times Morgoth attempted to catch Fingolfin, but the king was too quick. Yeah, he is. 
he he's got an agility rating of 10, you know, nine, like 10 <laughs> out of 10. He's, he's leaping back and forth. Um, and to use that analogy, like you mentioned of like Tolkien's description, Morgoth's this dark cloud, his shield casts over a dark cloud. Um, but Tolkien also uh, contrasts that with Fingolfin. He says Fingolfin leaped away from the blows as a lightning shoots from under a dark cloud. So again, I love how he just keeps the description, like yeah. the detailed description. Like I can just see this in my brain, like exactly what he's talking about, like how fast lightning is on a dark cloud. Cause you got Morgoth looming over him. It looks bleak. It looks dark. It looks terrifying. And then you just see a flash of lightning and it's gone, you know, and that's how quickly Fingolfin was running around during this battle. And, and uh, he was able to be pretty successful doing this. He actually struck Morgoth seven times. And uh, I mean, I, I assume it's just like quick little slices and jabs here and there. So not like any, yep. any like completely damaging blows, but it was enough to make Morgoth cry out in anguish every single time. And Tolkien even says in the Silmarillion that the hosts of Angband, they fell on their faces in dismay. So they're thinking, shoot, man, this, this leader of ours, maybe he's in trouble. Like maybe this is not the guy we thought he was <laughs> like, he's yeah, getting they're his, hear, his they're hearing kicked. him getting his butt kicked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh my gosh, we hear him cry out. Cause again, like just his, his size alone, you can imagine the, the his voice crying out in anguish would definitely yeah. dismay his, his people. So things seem to be going well for the King. He's, he's doing really well. He's, he's quicker than Morgoth. He's getting in his jabs, but because of how much energy he's spending doing this, he quickly grew weary. Um, I can imagine you know, running back and forth and, and just doing things really, really fast. And at, at one point, you know, I feel I, I kind of imagine, you know, he maybe got a, a jab in and steps back trying to catch his breath. And that's when Morgoth takes advantage of the moment. And so Tolkien says three times Morgoth brought down the hammer of Grand onto the shield of Fingolfin. And it says three times he, he blocked the blow and stood up and then he catches his breath. Morgoth comes in again, boom, blocks the blow stands up the third time and and Tolkien says that his shield actually broke the third time and so he stands up after the third time shield is completely broken and Fingolfin as as tired as he is he's not ready to he's not ready to quit he stands steadfast looking at Morgoth like all right man let's finish this I'm gonna take you down like I've already gotten some good good blows in I'm not done let's finish this unfortunately what Seth said about Grand making craters in the earth, the ground is completely uneven, there's holes everywhere. I kind of imagine like Tol- Fingolfin tries to get in a really steady stance, you know, ready to maybe push off his back leg to get another good quick stab in, but he slips. He stumbles on the uneven floor and he falls because of one of the craters. And at this, Morgoth quickly took advantage of such an unfortunate event. I mean, think about it, like these... Of all the ways to go down, you slip, <laughs> you fall. Yeah. But Morgoth takes advantage of this. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take advantage. So he steps on him with his left foot. He steps on his neck. And Tolkien says the weight was just unbearable. But in one latched ditch, Fingolfin takes up his sword, wrangling, and he hews at Morgoth's foot as hard as he can. He doesn't necessarily cut the foot off, but blood gushes from Morgoth's foot. And uh, Tolkien said the pits of of Grand that were filled were completely filled with smoke and blood. And again, Morgoth crying aloud um, this cry of anguish. However, the weight of Morgoth's foot was just too much for our high King of the Noldor. And I mean, you think about it, you got a giant's foot on your neck. It's gonna, it's gonna do it for you. So 
Tolkien says this, Thus died Fingolfin, high king of the Noldor, most proud and valiant of the elven kings of old. But, get this, the orcs made no boast of that duel at the gate. Neither, neither do the elves sing of it, for their sorrow is too deep. Man. So our guy, Fingolfin, like I said, he's in my fellowship. He is going to take on whoever without fear, even if it means he's going to lay down his life in the process. And he yeah. did. Man, and to think that he took on, I mean, all the Valar had to work together to take on Morgoth, right? And here's a high king of the elves, and he almost gets him. I mean, maybe not almost, like it was never really going to happen, but he wounded him multiple times and created, and it, uh, let's see if it's, I don't know if it, we put it in here, but he never set forth outside of Angband again. Um, mm. Morgoth did, mm. and so yeah. he was he was basically like, no, nope, never again. Like, and as we talked about earlier, he's the only one to have known fear. And so, even though he killed Fingolfin and knew a little bit of fear going into it, imagine like his ego in a way. Yeah. Like, oh shoot! Like, I'm crippled now. I hurt. It'll never go away, and I'm never stepping foot, you know, to fight again. I'm gonna have all my minions do it for me. Yeah, he realizes his mortality and is like, I mean, even though he's like an immortal being, you know, at least on Middle Earth, he's like, okay, this body yeah. of mine can be can be can, yeah. cut and bleeding and broken. Yeah. And and if you think about it, too, if you remember back to our, our read through of Children of Hurin, Hurin actually cries out after, um, isn't it after... Is after Laliath dies from the from the disease from Angband, and he cries yep. out. He's playing his harp and stuff, and he like cries out. He says like, "I will mar you as my lord Fingolfin did." Yeah, yeah. And this is what he's referencing. He's basically saying, mm-hmm. "I wish that I could hurt you in the same way that Fingolfin did." And and Fingolfin obviously did a number, but he didn't make it. Um, yeah. So at this point, unfortunately, Morgoth takes the body of Fingolfin, and Tolkien says he broke it. I don't really know what that means, but you can just yeah. imagine just getting snapped into or whatever. And yeah. he was about to Pretty throw. Gruesome. Yeah. Just a gruesome, you know, it was, it's not like, Hey, it was a good fight. He's dead. We'll, you know, honor him for the, the pride and yeah. you know, the prowess that he had. No, he's, he's breaking him and he's about to throw him to the wolves. And another member of Sam's fellowship comes oh. sweeping in here. The Rondor, the King of Eagles actually bores down upon Morgoth and it says that Tolkien says that he marred his face. So I can just imagine scratching, you know, with his massive claws, uh, on, on, on Morgoth. And he was able to get him to drop Fingolfin's body and he swoops him up and he flies him to the mountaintop of the Ecoriad, which is overlooking Gondolin on the North side of the encircling mountains. So, the Crusagrim is south, and that's where Hurin and, and his brother were found, right? Yeah. Um, but this is the north side. And I think the reason he takes him there is, one, it's near his Iries, or Iyers, or however you say that word. Iyers, yeah. and the Crusagrim. But also his son, who is now the High King of the Noldor, is Turgon of Gondolin. And, and so he drops him off on the mountain range, and Turgon actually goes up there and creates a... Um, What's that word that Tolkien uses for it? I never really a cairn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I never heard that word until reading. It's this, like the but, little rocks you build on a on a trail. Oh, you know? I always thought that was like 
Karen, like short haircut, annoying lady. <laughs> oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I always not. wondered why it was called that. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's so good. You're talking about like marking the trail with like the rock piles, like when you hike a 14er. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's Karen. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Tourgon actually goes and builds a Karen over his father and and that's where his resting place is. And what's kind of actually really sad is Rockjalor or Ranklor, however you say it, his trusty horse, um, stayed with him until the very end. You think of horses, you know, they get spooked pretty easily. They take off yep. running. No, he stayed right by Fingolfin during the whole battle. And then as soon as Fingolfin died, uh, he took off and ran away. And it Tolkien says that the wolves of of Angband chased him, but he was too swift and he outran him. And he arrived in Hithlam, which is Fingolfin's it was where he reigned from. He arrived yeah. there and then he he died of a broken heart. Uh mm. he he ran away. He was not gonna be eaten by the wolves, but as soon as he got to Hithlam, he just that was that. He he passed. Yeah, there's no um, companion anymore for him. He just Wow. That's sad. He just he loved he loved Fingolfin that much. Um, hmm. and so kind of like I mentioned, Turgon created this Karen that I now learned the word. That's fantastic. <laughs> the more, you know, um, he created that and Tolkien says that the orcs would never cross over that because they feared the wrath of Fingolfin, even though he was dead, they saw, you know, the, the pyre, whatever, not really a pyre, but you know, the, the monument to him and hmm. they just didn't want to mess with it. They did not want anything to do with that. Uh, yeah. and pretty much from that day on Morgoth was scared of Thorondor and he also walked with a limp and his, the pain from his wounds never went away and they never healed. So I don't know how that works that they never healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really is just a testament to Fingolfin and, and the damage he truly did to, to Morgoth, the strongest of all the Valar. Yeah, it's interesting how Tolkien like he could have he could have wrote and written this 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 duel this combat in many different ways. He could have had people helping, uh, you know, helping the king out. He could have had Angband like like Morgoth send his Balrogs or whatever. But he he really let this play out, and I think it's really cool that we get to have a front row seat to just such an epic battle. Um, and I love how he pays so much tribute to his, his heroes and I mean, yeah. he lets people die. You know, we don't really see that as much in Lord of the Rings. That's, I think some, some of the gripe that people have, especially, I think it was J.R.R. Martin who, or George R. Martin who, uh, wrote the, what, I can't even think of that right now. Game um, of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, Oh, like nobody dies. <laughs> and so you need, you need to kill people. That's because um, Boromir dying in the fellowship was tenfold whatever that guy could have imagined with his characters yeah. dying. Like when when you lose one of Tolkien's characters, it's not just, oh, cool, uh, that was a shock and wow, how could they kill him off? No, you feel it on the core of yeah. your being because of how Tolkien relates it to just the way you read the story. He brings it all together in a way that is so beautiful that it hurts when one of his characters dies. Yeah, and you absolutely see that here with Fingolfin too. You know, even if it's a guy that you don't have much of a a tie to, you don't have a whole lot of a story to. Like you, you can even just pick up the Silmarillion and read that battle, and then be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he, dang, like it hurts. It's 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 there's so much depth to it. 
I guess is, is what yeah. I'm trying to get to. Um, yep. But yeah, great, great story. Uh, really fun to, to dive deep into it and, and read it yeah. through again. And, and you got to think too, like you said, Morgoth never healed from his wounds and he never came out of Ingband after that point. So this was an incredibly pivotal moment, like moving forward in the story of the Silmarillion, because if he never once had the confidence to step out of Ingband again, how much good did that do for our allies? You know, how much good did that do for the heroes of the story who, you know, didn't have to worry about Morgoth coming out with all his force and, and his hammer grand and, and wrecking havoc. Cause, cause he was scared. Now he was afraid he was beaten up. He was battered and, and he didn't ever, ever come out of Ingband again. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Thank you so much uh, for enlightening me on some things here in this story, Seth. And I'm glad I could tell you what a Karen was. Yes, that um, is. 30 years in, in life and many times looking at those things going, why did they name them after some short haired <laughs> lady that yells at restaurant servers? Like <laughs> it all makes sense oh, now. Good. It all makes sense now. <laughs> yep. That's so good. Well guys, it's been fun. It's been a long time uh, since we podcast, but it's been a lot of fun. We really enjoy doing this. We'll try to be a bit more consistent now that I don't have school. Seth's got a little bit more time back a little bit now, probably not a whole lot, but uh, we'll do what we can. If you have any, uh, suggestions for episodes if you want something if you want us to talk about something like let us know and uh, we'll see if we can put it together but until then you know what time it is it is time to call for aid we are going to call for aid as gondor and we're going to break in the halls of metasel and shout gondor calls for aid will you rohan answer so if you enjoyed the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with your fellow friends and fans and obviously don't forget to like subscribe leave us a review send us an email check out the youtube videos all that good stuff uh, we'd love to hear your Tolkien story as well. We'll share that on the podcast, read it out here as well. But guys, we are so thankful that you chose to join us for this journey and this well-earned comforts. But until our next journey, we bid you a very fond farewell.